right, let's uh, turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four. It's going to do a part two on declaring the splendor of Christ in the midst of cultural crisis and confusion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence, and Lord, we say that your nearness is our good. Father, we ask you that you would increase uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, upon our hearts, upon our minds, Lord, that you would illumine the eyes of our heart. Father, that you would open up our eyes to your law, Lord, that we would see glorious and marvelous things. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your son. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your blood. Lord, that we can stand justified through your Son before you. We ask you, Lord, you would magnify your Son upon our hearts, Lord, that, the, that your Son would rise like the morning star upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, the Apostle Paul, just by way of overview from last week, the Apostle Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but we, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves is your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And so Paul is making a, a very, very important statement here. And, and he actually says this um, quite a bit throughout the New Testament, this, this issue of the centrality of, of speaking about Christ of declaring him, of, of making him known. Uh, later on in Ephesians chapter 3, verse uh, uh, 8, he talks about the, the indescribable wealth of Jesus. In fact, he says that Christ is unsearchable, and therefore there is an anointing necessary to be given to Paul in order to articulate the indescribable. So here in verse 5, he talks about the, uh, about the mandate that he and, and the apostolic team have to, to preach Christ. But in verse 6, he gives the reason why. In verse 6, it says, for, instead of for, you can say, because. So in verse 5, he says, we, we preach Jesus. We don't preach ourselves. He says, we don't, uh, and by preaching self, he means that we are not messaging in such a way that bolsters the flesh, both of the preacher and the flesh of the hearer. But rather, we, we speak of him. We speak of Jesus. We speak of who he is, what it is that he's about, what it is that he's, what it is that he's capable of, and what his purpose is. He says, we speak of Jesus, verse 6, and here's why. Because the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Now he goes back to Genesis chapter 1, where God says, let there be light when there is darkness on the earth. He says, this same God, the God of Genesis 1, is the one who's, who has shown on our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ. In other words, when we talk about Jesus, when we speak of him, what it is that he's about 
Or another way of saying, when we speak of the gospel, Paul says there is a supernatural exchange that begins to take place, and that is that light actually begins to shine in the midst of the darkness. In fact, in verse 4, he says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The, the darkness that is being exposed in the culture, and I say exposed in the culture because actually uh, uh, several months ago, or last year sometime, uh, uh, Dave Slyker made this point that we're talking about a crisis coming, but the truth is there has been a crisis in the earth since Genesis chapter 3. The, the darkness that is in the earth, and the thing is we are so much like the, frag, like the frog in the kettle that we're kind of disconnected with how much of a crisis it is, but the crisis is so intense that it required the Son of God to come in the flesh and die a gruesome death on the cross. What is happening is that at the end of the age, as the end of the age begins to unfold, this darkness or this crisis is getting exposed more and more for what it is. So it's not like there's a crisis coming. No, the crisis has been here for thousands of years. It's just that for such a time as this, the, the Lord is allowing this crisis to manifest itself into some very, very, very intense levels. And Paul tells us that this darkness that is in the culture whether it is America or, or Mexico, I mean, wherever, that this darkness cannot and it will not be pierced lest we speak of him. Because when we speak of him, the God of Genesis 1, the God who said, let there be light, it's the same one who will cause light to shine on the hearts and the minds of people. And so there's a mounting social pressure the darkness of the culture is getting exposed in a greater way. But this pressure must result in a deeper reflection on Christ towards us developing a gospel response in our hearts. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19 makes a very uh, intense statement. Here he is, the, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the founder of the, the church of Galatia, and he speaks to them, and he says this. He says, I'm concerned for you. In fact, he says, I'm in intercession. He says, I am in childbirth again until Christ is formed in you. Uh, which lets us know that as believers, we can have the formation of Christ in us, and we can lose that formation of Christ. And here Paul uh, shows us what, the, what uh, the issue of priority on his heart and on his mind is the formation of Christ in the hearts of the believers. He says, I'm in deep intercession until this reality is established again. In the midst of all the cultural commentary and theories and whatnot, our hope is to give ourselves to the word, to meditate on it. I was thinking the other day when I first uh, became a believer, the first Bible verse that I was given to memorize was, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And 
in these dark days, the Lord has given us a lantern. He's given us a flashlight, so to speak. He's given us a candle by which we can begin to walk step by step. And every step we take, the step right before us is illumined by the word of God. It cannot be illumined by our feelings. It cannot be illumined by our opinions. It cannot be illumined by the culturally formed ideas, uh, uh, the, no matter which side of the spectrum we find ourselves in the culture, it is the truth of the word of God that begins to illuminate every step before us in terms of how we can live our lives in accordance to the gospel. To have a renewed focus, to understand the word of God, to ask the Holy Spirit to give us an escort, to, to live his word, not only to live it, but to proclaim it. I believe with all my heart that the field is white for the harvest. I, I really believe that. It, it, in fact, it, the, you know, the scripture's got so many paradoxes, but if you want to know what a ripe harvest looks like, look around you. It's what, that's what it looks like. What is happening in America right now is the, is the ripening of the harvest. It really is. The opportunities for the gospel that are before us and that are going to present themselves in the days not long from now are phenomenal. The opportunity to, to grow in Christ, to grow in his word, to live his gospel and to proclaim it. That is the hope and the answer for the times in which we are living the Holy Spirit's invitation before us in this hour is that through the word, by the Holy Spirit, to begin to receive the inward revealing of Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says this. He says, it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and he called me through grace to reveal his son in me. I mean, what a statement. You know, when we, when we think about callings and assignments, the uh, most of us tend not to think of this first part of Paul's calling. We tend to think of a project, a dot-com, you know, something out there that is external. Paul says he, says, he says, you know what my number one calling is? He says, my number one calling is to stand before God and let the Spirit do an inward work in me that is the revealing of who Christ is by the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But I believe that that's the invitation that is before us to, to live our lives before the Father in such a way that he would do what he just absolutely loves to do. And that's to speak of his son. To expound on his son. To demonstrate his son. To, if I can say it this way, to boast about his son and who he is and all of his loveliness, and glory. You know, we all know that, that uh, famous hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. It's as though Wesley is saying there are not enough mouths to be able to properly articulate the majesty, the glory, the beauty, the wonder of who this man is. And as we receive the Holy Spirit's inward revealing of, the Holy, of, of Christ, what it does, it, it equips our hearts, it equips us to, to preach, to declare, to make known, to proclaim Christ. 
In verse 16, Paul tells us that the reason for this inward revealing of the Son of God is that I might preach him to the Gentiles. The greatest crisis that is before us is that the minds of of the unbelieving culture is darkened by a satanic strategy. And the only solution, the only solution, not one of the solutions, I say the only solution. I want to say this again. The absolute only solution. There is no other option. And any other options that we, may, that we want to present to the culture, God is going to starve us out from those options until we conclude there is only one option. Jesus. That's it. The proclamation of him, who he is, what he is about, what he's capable of, and what his purpose is. Speaking of him, we need the church in America, red hot on fire, to join the decree of the Father. The Holy Spirit, I believe in his hours, plumb-lining the church to again get anchored by this inward revealing of Christ that we may speak of him to the culture. In Isaiah 42, verse 4, Isaiah 42, verse 4, the prophet Isaiah, he says that he, speaking of Jesus, he will not fail nor be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his laws. Beloved, I said this last week, I want to say this again. Jesus is not at all, not even in the slightest, discouraged about what's happening. I mean, at all. He's not wringing his hands. He's not scratching his head. He's not looking at the Father going, really? I mean, no, he is not discouraged. He will not fail, and he is not discouraged, and he will uh, go forth until justice is established on the earth. I believe that when we begin to see Christ, that we, we will begin to see his ways, and we begin to see our hope will begin to get put in other places. Now, here comes another qualifier like I did last week. I want to make sure that we don't hear what I'm not saying because that seems to be, you know, the mode of the hour right now. No, I mean, just, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, it's, every, it's all over social media. It's we hear what's not being said. I think that um, voting is important. I think that it's a, um, not only is it important, it is a, um, it, it, is the, it is a right as an American citizen that we want to engage in. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, the beautiful ways of how this country is set up is that we can actually be a part uh, of the process in, in, in so far as bringing change. But I find it interesting, though, I want to say this, that as uh, things have gone into the election that is, you know, has really hurting many people that are concerned about various issues, in particular the issue of uh, when it comes to the issue of life, I find it interesting that I want us to notice something that, and some of you are aware of this already, that the state of Missouri right now is the only state that has no abortion clinics at all. And, and, it's, and it's as though the Lord is saying, hey, look, yeah, keep, keep working towards the changing of the laws, but please know that I'm not bound by those laws to bring about change. I want to say this again, God is not bound by the laws of men. 
Once again, we, we want to do our part, and it's important that we do, but I, I just find it striking that, that, that there, is, there are no abortion clinics in the state of Missouri. I mean, that is huge. Why? Because the Lord says, you know what? I will not fail. I'm not discouraged. I will bring forth justice. As many of you know, I, I wasn't uh, born here. I wasn't brought up here. And, uh, and so I've, you know, I've been in America for 30 years, you know, and, you know, people say, well, you say this stuff, you say, because you, you're not from here. And then the person that said it to me is 25. I'm like, I've been here long, you've been alive. But that's a whole different subject for another day. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I've noticed something. And what I've noticed is the, the emotional spectrum of the church in America really flips every four to eight years. And I get it. But guess whose emotional Spectrum doesn't flip every 48 years. We need to get our hearts connected with him. And get his perspective, get his peace and joy, and get, yes, and get his burden. There are plenty of verses that talk about the fact that he's pained about the injustice in the earth. But being pained by the injustice of the earth is not the same as being discouraged. Christ is not discouraged at all. The word of God makes it very clear. Jesus is filled with zeal, according to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform the promise that God made to Abraham, which is to release the fullness of God's blessings and glory among the nations. In Genesis 12, verse 3, God made a promise to Abraham. He says, I will bless all the families of the earth. This is a covenant that I make with you. God will do it. He will not fail. He will not be discouraged. When the Lord speaks to Abraham about blessing the nations of the earth, that is another way of saying what he says in Isaiah 42, verse 4, I will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, the specifics of this promise that the Lord made to Abraham, it gets expounded on throughout the Old Testament. It is expounded on in the law. It's expounded on in the Psalms. It's expounded on among the prophets. And it comes down to this, that God will fill the earth with the full expression of his glory. The full expression of his glory. Isaiah chapter 60 to 66, we're not going to go there, but just to kind of reference it to you, Isaiah 60 to 66 gives us the most detailed of what God's glory on the earth will look like. It gives us the environmental implications. It gives us the social implications. It gives us the economic implications. It gives us urban implications. It gives us the, the, the social political implications. I mean, just the, the, the plan that God has for the earth in Christ is absolutely phenomenal. Jesus will make the earth great again. <laughs> Let that one sink in. <laughs> no, 
but he's going to fill the earth with his glory. The full expression of who he is, his power, his purpose, his fragrance, his agenda, everything in the created order will be permeated with the fragrance of his glory. Now, much of what comes from the lips of many in our day does not connect our hearts with God's divine agenda. It is essential that we expose our hearts to the scripture and let the scripture awaken hope. So much of what we hear today in the news, social media, even in day-to-day conversations from heaven's perspective is fake news. And so much of what is swirling around in our day-to-day conversations, again, in social media, in the news, I mean, just from all, just from everywhere, it's, it is as though we are living in the days of Uzziah, where when the, the, the year that King Uzziah died, when Isaiah said this, he says, woe is me from a man of unclean lips. And guess what? He says, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. What, what were these unclean lips that Isaiah was talking about? Well, in Isaiah chapter 6, a familiar passage, Isaiah, he, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 41, he tells us that who Isaiah saw was Jesus in all of his glory. And so the prophet, he's, He's having a vision of Christ in his exalted state, high lifted up. And as he's having this vision of Jesus on the throne, he he sees these angelic beings, these seraphims, these burning ones is is what seraphim means. These, These angelic creatures that are like torches that are on fire. And they are around the throne of God. And the thing that is that that is striking to me is when they're saying holy, 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 they are not saying holy, holy, holy to God. They're saying holy, holy, holy to one another about God. And so the prophet, he is seeing Jesus in his glory and his splendor and the Lord allows him to eavesdrop on a conversation that takes place between the angels about the glory and the goodness of God. And they proclaim his transcendence, they proclaim his majesty, they proclaim his splendor, and they declare his agenda to fill the earth with the glory of God. And as the prophet hears this conversation, now this is prophet, I mean this is prophet Isaiah, I'm sure he had www.isaiah.com going strong. (laughs) Brother was tweeting, social media, blogging, conference speaking. This guy was a prophet, and he sees the conversation as a prophetic man, and he goes, oh, my gosh. He goes, hardly anything that I've been saying connects with what I just heard. And the people go, yeah, the prophetic people need to get with it. And the prophet goes, well, don't look at me so innocent, because you too are a people of unclean lips. 
And what are these unclean lips? It's, they, they are, it's, it's messaging, it's communication that doesn't lift the heart with the agenda around the throne of God, which is to, to fill the earth with his glory to complete and to fulfill the very promise that he made to Abraham. Uh, to, to bring about the very thing that the angels sang about on Christmas. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill to man. The Lord made it very clear. He says, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken. He says, but we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Oh, Lord, help me. To the measure that we are shaken by what is happening, it is to that measure that we have rooted our primary identity in that which can be shaken. And we're trying to stabilize that which is shakable and that which is being shaken, almost like Uzzah was trying to stabilize the ark. And that's not good. The Lord shakes the things that can be shaken to help us to expose the, uh, the futility of the things in which we put our confidence that we can rest our hope in that which is real, sound, and secure. That we can sing the song that we have sung many times. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And all other grounds come alongside to support it. No, never mind. <laughs> all other grounds are what? Finish it with me. All other grounds are sinking sand. You know, the Lord, uh, he doesn't play fair because uh, he has a really, really good memory. And we forget that part of what is happening in the nations is all the years we said, Lord, I'm yours. Take me. Make everything yours. I mean, he goes, okay, here we go. I'm ready to answer some prayers. I'm like, well, I don't know about all that. I mean, really? He goes, no. He goes, I'm actually taking, I'm coming after you. He is coming for his church because he took our little weak prayers when we were young at that conference that had too many smoke machines he took us seriously when we prayed those prayers. <laughs> Some of these prayers you've forgotten about. Some of these prayers you remember and you wonder if he's praying. He goes, nope. He goes, I remember all of all these sincere, deep, meaningful prayers of surrender to me. He goes, I took note of every single one of them. And you thought I'd forgotten. You thought that you had failed. You thought that you were a hopeless hypocrite. He goes, no. He goes, I have a plan. I'm going to shake 
everything that can be shaken to draw near to you and you to me and to answer the very prayers for you to be holy mine. And so Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the people are a people of unclean lips. In other words, we, 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 we gravitate towards, we incline our ears towards things that do not connect our hearts with the conversation that Isaiah just saw. The preaching of Christ is not merely mentioning his name. But it consists of who he is, his personality, or his attributes. It consists of what he's able to do, his power. And it consists of his agenda and his administration, his purpose, that which he is going to establish on the earth forever. The gospel is the proclamation of the reign of God through the death, burial, and resurrection, and the ascension, and the return of Christ to the earth. Back in 1996, uh, I kind of hit a wall. You know, I was, uh, had given myself to uh, sharing the gospel quite regularly uh, on, the, on, on the street. One of my mentors, we had a, we had a little a saying, uh, one a day keeps the devils away. <laughs> we had all these little things, you know, to kind of keep us as motivated uh, uh, to share the gospel with people. And uh, so back in 1996, I, I remember hitting this wall. I, I said, Lord, I said, your word says that when the gospel is proclaimed, there is a, uh, there's a dimension of presence and power that comes to the sharing of the gospel. I, I said, Lord, I said, uh, uh, what is the gospel that you preach? What is the gospel that the apostles preach? And I, and I heard this phrase uh, in my heart. It went like this. Signs and wonders are a period behind a sentence. Give me a sentence to put my period behind. And, I, and then I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I want to know what the gospel is as it was proclaimed uh, by your son and by the apostles. And so the next day, uh, I, was, I was doing my, you know, my daily reading, and I was, and I was reading uh, Galatians chapter 1, and I came across this verse in Galatians chapter 1 where Paul uh, made this statement, and, and it marked me, and here's what he said. He says, I did not preach a gospel that was taught to me by men, but I received it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I understood then that to understand the gospel, it is to understand him. And to understand him is to understand the gospel. Beloved, this is why I'm putting before us this reality that we must give ourselves to the inward revealing of Christ. It is a thing that the Father loves to do, Galatians 1.15. He says, I am pleased to do this. It brings me so much pleasure that by my spirit to be in speaking to you and in you about my son. Because as you discover him through the word, it will give you insight. It will equip your being to be a messenger of the gospel. 
And turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The God of hope, beloved, has begun to shake in order to awaken to us our true hope. The God of hope has begun to shake in order to awaken in us our true hope. Isaiah chapter uh, 26, verse 9, it says, For when God's judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants learn righteousness. Another way to say that is when God's shakings are in the earth, that's when the inhabitants learn what true faith is all about. Colossians chapter 1, we're looking at just a few moments here real quick, just a few quick thoughts here. Uh, The most quoted psalm in the New Testament is Psalm 110. And the main message of this psalm is this, that God will defeat all his enemies through the reign and the administration of Jesus Christ. Psalm 110, the main message is this, God is going to defeat all of his enemies through the reign and the administration of Jesus Christ. That as things become more challenging and as things become darker, the Lord puts before us through the word of God. He says, I will destroy and defeat all my enemies through the reign and the administration of Jesus Christ. The New Testament then goes on to show us that the ascension of Jesus, you know, the, you know, we got the happy Easter, we go to the beach, eat some chocolate, and then we go about our day. Beloved, that thing called the resurrection, and that thing that happened 50 days later, when Christ ascended to the very heaven. Christ ascending to the heaven, I mean, this is a really bad example, but Christ ascending to the heavens is like the president of the United States getting sworn in, and then he and his wife are walking down Pennsylvania Avenue to the White House. This was not just a, look, I can fly behind and then get hit by the clouds. No, this was a massive coronation. This was a massive ceremony of the king of all ages as he was ascending to the highest place given to a man. A human being, God, fully God, and fully man, Jesus Christ, seated at the highest office. And the New Testament tells us that his ascension is to, it, it, it is a banner, it, it, is a, uh, it is a flag, it is a, it is a statement from heaven saying, inhabitants of the earth, O church of Jesus Christ, things will get darker, but know this. Look what is in Hebrews chapter 2 verse, six, it says, uh, two, verse 8, it says this. For he has put all things under him, talking about Jesus, and he, the Father, left nothing that was put under him. But here it is. But now we do not yet see all things under him. But we see Jesus. That Christ's ascension is the assurance that all the enemies of sin and darkness will be defeated, put under his feet. And Jesus 
establish and fulfill the promise he made to Abraham. To fill the nations with the blessings of the Father. To fill the nations with the glory of God. That every sphere of the created order will be permeated by the full expression of who God is. I'm talking about something much greater than what so many in, in America, Suriname, Curacao, Venezuela, I mean, whatever you're, wherever you're from, have put their hope in, which usually is just a little bit of domestic tranquility in the country in which we live. The Lord goes, he says, I've got something far more greater than just a little easier life. I have got the full expression of my power, my glory, my government permeating everything that is created. Not only that, I have entrusted you with that message to share that with a dying world. In the beginnings of the shakings of the world, what is happening right now, is that we are not without hope. The shaking is to draw the believer and the unbeliever to see him. The apostle Paul called it the blessed hope, the confidence in the future that fills our hearts with gladness and with joy. How God was gonna bring this about this promise of Abraham was kept from the prophets. The prophets did not know how God was going to do this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 12, it says that the prophets, they prophesied and they began to search. They're, going, they're, they're, they're saying things that at the same time they're going, I don't know that I know what I'm talking about. I hear what you're saying. I'm saying what you're saying. I can see what you're saying. I just don't know how you're going to do it. Then in verse 12, Peter says that the angels, they get curious and they begin to look into these things. Try to figure out what it is that is going on. And the apostle Paul, on several occasions, he says, look, he said, there's a mystery. He said, there is a plan that God devised to bring this thing about. To fill the earth with the glory of God, for God's kingdom to reign on the earth forever and ever and ever. And the angels are going, how are you going to do it? The prophets are going, how are you going to do it? And I'm making this part up. I imagine out of nowhere, the angel Gabriel, you know, at some point in time, he's walking around heaven, shaking his head, going, unbelievable. 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 Angels are going, what? He goes, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say right now. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, give me 400 years to think about this. I'll get back with you. Because what he told me was so intense. And then 400 years later, Gabriel comes down and he's, he says the unthinkable about how God is going to establish his kingdom on the earth. And that is this, his own darling son would become a zygote. His own darling son will become a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, the un, 
created God who dwells in nothing made the womb of a Jewish girl his dwelling place for nine months. It was staggering. Only to find out that he would grow up to be a man to die on the cross to ensure the establishing of God's promise to his friend Abraham to fill the earth with the blessings and the glory of the Father. Well, the apostle Paul continues in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. We'll wrap it up here in just a second. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, Colossians 1.25, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Verse 26, the mystery or the plan which was hidden from the ages, from generations, but it has now been revealed to all the saints. What is amazing is this, is that Paul says, not only was this mystery entrusted to me as an apostle, he says, no, this mystery now is accessible to every believer. And the church of Colossae is leading forward to go, well, tell us what the mystery is. Well, before we get to that, Here's what Paul says. He says, to me, it was given the stewardship. The stewardship means three things. Number one, it was to maintain the integrity of the message. Number one. Number two, it is to ensure the simplicity and the plain spokenness of the message. And thirdly, it is to ensure that the message is proclaimed in and through the church by all. And you're ready for the mystery? Here's the mystery. The mystery is Christ. Christ. And Paul goes on to say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that the uncreated God by the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside the hearts of every born-again believer. And here's what Paul says, and the dwelling of Christ in us this morning, beloved, it is the assurance, it is the confidence, it is the promise, it is the surety of the coming glory. The hope of glory that Paul is talking about, he's talking about the promise that God made to Abraham. Christ in us, speaking, moving, revealing by the Holy Spirit. I want to end it with this. Not the only thing, but the, the top priority of what the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us this morning if you're born again, he is eager, according to James chapter 4, eager to speak about the glory of the age to come. To speak about the great promise that Abraham saw, and when he believed that promise, it says that he believed God. And it was that faith that God says, you know what? I would accredit that as righteousness. Beloved, there is a grand thing that is going on and the Holy Spirit is little by little helping us along the way to give ourselves to the word, to really begin to figure out what's up. So the worship team come up. To really figure out what's up. As I said earlier, so much in the news, so much even of our day-to-day -day conversations 
it's just straight up fake news. And I think of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, where the prophet says, who has believed our report? <laughs> There's a report. There's a CNN report. There's a Fox News report. There's a BBC report. There's a Al Jazeera report. There's all these reports. But a prophet Isaiah says, he says, but there is one report. Does anyone believe that report? Does anyone believe the agenda, uh, you know, as Dave Slager said earlier, the, the narrative, the storyline that we can anchor ourselves to that would give us hope and joy? Normally, when I preach, I, and, uh, you know, I uh, want people to you know, feel a sense of levity but if you're overwhelmed, that that was my objective. Because there is something great that is on the horizon. There's something great that is before us. It's greater than the temporary well-being of this country. It is bigger than what the enemies of this country are threatening to do or not do. There is a promise that God made to Abraham and he is going to fulfill that promise. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 tells us that he will fulfill it by the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Psalm 110 tells us that he will defeat all of his enemies. The New Testament tells us that Christ's ascension is the assurance that what was promised in Psalm 110 will happen. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you. That Christ lives inside of us to speak to us of that hope. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Father, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you, you, you say that the, the things of you are not discerned by the natural mind, but they're discerned by the Spirit. So, Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would uh, release on us and in us a spirit of revelation. Father, I ask you, even as we're about to enter into this 40-day uh, season, Father, I ask you that you would do what only you can do, that you would grant, Father, what only you can grant. Lord, that in your mercy and in your deep good pleasure, you would release revelation, release understanding. Father, I ask you for a shift, Lord, even in the dream life of us as a community. Father, I ask you for a shift even in the way that we understand your word. Father, I ask you that you would let us see Jesus in places that we would never think we'd find him. Open our eyes to your law to behold glorious, marvelous things. Father, I say, Jeremiah 33, 3, you said, call to me, call to me, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would drive a stake of Jeremiah 33.3. Lord, here in this body, in each one of our hearts, Lord, this 
called to call out to you and to wait for your, you to respond, to show great and marvelous things, Father, concerning this man, Christ Jesus. Make him known, Father, in us. Make him known through us. Father, would you cause the words of the gospel, Father, that come from the mouths of this people. Lord, would you cause the words that come from the gospel from the mouth of those in the church of Kansas City. Father, I ask you, would you cause the words that come from the mouth of the gospel from those in the church in America. Father, to pierce the darkness. Bring about the great awakening. Move, Father, across this nation. Oh, God of Genesis 1, declare your light. Declare your light, Father. Declare your light in this room. Father, declare your light in this city. Declare your light, Father, across this nation. Oh, arise, shine. Let your light come, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite you to stand. We're just going to worship the Lord together. Holy Spirit, in this body, be magnified. Holy Spirit, in this body, be magnified. lot of times we uh, give altar calls so that we come down to receive something. I'm just so stirred by what Stuart has been highlighting the last two weeks. I want to encourage us to come down to the front as a statement of, I want to give myself to the excellencies of the person Jesus. I am re-signing up in my heart to make my life oriented around the person of God the man that is high and lifted up, seated on that throne, that he is the center of the universe. And I'm not saying it's not wrong to come down and receive something, but I just feel stirred that if you in your heart, you feel like you've drawn back from the glory of God, maybe you feel discouraged, maybe you feel weary, but you say, I wanna make my life about him. And I wanna stand before him and I want him to be the center and I want him to be the central facet and longing of my heart. And I want to take a stand before the Lord and declare that today. We want to invite you to come down to the front.
that you would magnify the person of Christ in this spiritual family. Holy Spirit, in this body, be magnified. Be magnified, Lord. like in the old covenant when they would bring their offering before the Lord we bring the offering of our lives to set before the one that's seated above the circle of the earth we bring the offering of our souls our emotions we bring it as an offering something to give to him because of his great word we bring our finances we bring our families we bring our hopes and our dreams. We bring all of our aspirations because in heaven there's one seated at the, on the throne and every all the activity centralizes in response to the glory and the beauty of Christ. We put our hearts before you, Lord. We put our lives before you, a living sacrifice. That's what you've called us to be, a living sacrifice. And when we see the great worth of Christ, we can't help but respond to bring before you our lives, the entirety of it. We bring before you our emotions. We bring before you our desires. We bring before you our sexuality, the lusts of the flesh. We bring before you everything that we are, everything that we want. We lay it before you as a living sacrifice. Make us a living sacrifice, Lord, we pray. We fix our eyes upon your word. We want to see the Lord high and lifted up. We want to release the ministry team to begin to move through. Any leaders that are stirred to pray, please come.
saw the Lord high and lifted up. on the altar the sake of, of your glory the sake of your glory a living sacrifice I lay it all down I lay it all down it all belongs to you for the sake of your honor the sake of your glory I lay it all down I lay it all down for the sake of your honor the sake of your glory 